16. I'll be reading from there just now. So flip to the end of the Minor Prophets, which you all know exactly where they are by now, and then just carry on three books and you'll get to John, and then flip forward a few chapters and you'll be in John 15. And this is what Jesus says. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command love each other. Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that you're the living word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inspired the human writers of this written down word. And we ask that you would continue to inspire and teach us now. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight for you are our Lord and our Redeemer Amen so I have to start with an apology and the apology is for those of you who saw me driving around air at any point from about Wednesday onwards this week um, I got a phone call in the office on Wednesday and Karen said, Nick, I've made a mistake. Now that doesn't happen very often, not Karen making mistakes, but her admitting to making mistakes. Don't worry, she's on top spot this morning. Um, But she said, I've made a mistake. And I was like, all right. And she said, 
I've put petrol in the car, which you might think is okay, but we've got a diesel. And, uh, and so she put petrol in our diesel for the second time in four years, I have to add. Um, but she put petrol in our diesel and she put about 20 quids worth in when it was right empty. And so the guy at the garage said to her, well, you've been driving. She noticed that something was wrong apparently after she dropped me at work, after we dropped Emily at nursery that morning and the car started um, kangarooing along sort of thing. Um, but then uh, she, the guy said, well, the damage will be done by now if there's any damage to be done. And so what you just need to do is fill it up with diesel and see how it goes. And then anyway, Karen and I were away for a couple of days, Thursday, no, Friday and Saturday. And uh, so we're driving down to Millport and I've got my foot on the accelerator full on and the car's like going like this along. So I apologize. If you think that that was my bad driving, it wasn't. It was my wife's inability to read the big diesel in red letters on the fuel cap. Um, but like the reason that I thought that I would start with that this morning is to make those of you who've done the same thing, and I can see some of you pointing at people in here, so stop telling tales. Um, uh, but the reason that I start with that this morning is because we're starting a new series today, um, and, the si- and, and the series is looking at some, some what I'm going to call values for us as a church as we seek to live out our mission statement. And our, our mission or our vision statement at Southside is to reach out to all people, to welcome into one family and to transform every generation for Christ. Um, and, but the thing that I've been thinking about quite a lot while I was off... And, uh, and, even, and even as I've come back, is okay, well, that, that's great. But the thing is, it's, it's huge. And, and one of the things that I often say to people is that nobody well-meaning, okay, nobody who is this kind of a pretty orthodox Christian could come to me with any idea and say, Nick, I think we should do this, or I think we should do this, or I think we should do this, and, and us actually say, well, no, I'm sorry, it doesn't fit with our vision statement, because the vision statement is so big that anything that is broadly Christian is going to fit within it. But the problem is this, that God doesn't call us to do absolutely everything. We cannot do everything. We have to know uh, what are the things that, that within all of the good and great things that God wants us to be, or wants his people in the world to be doing, what are the specific bits that he wants us at Southside to be doing? How do we live that out? And, 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 this, and, this is, and the vision or the values, sorry, that I want to talk about are still pretty broad. And I think actually one of the things that would be really exciting to do as a church over the next while is to actually like flesh out what are some really deep-seated values about us at Southside that we want to say so if somebody comes to us and says I think we should do this we can go do you know what that is absolutely amazing but it doesn't quite fit with what we we believe God is calling us to at Southside and the example that I want to give is and and Ben said something about this last week because it really struck me so clearly when I was meeting up with Ben um, during the week that him and Kirsten were here, Ben talked about some of the YWAM values and one of their values being uh, about working with young people. And so you saw the brilliant stuff that Kirsten had for sale last Sunday, the Hooked in Africa stuff. I don't know if any of you saw it, but it's this incredible work that she's doing. It's absolutely amazing. It is God-honoring. It is, I believe it is God-pleasing. It's working with um, older women. It, 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 it's uh, helping them get, get, gain skills and, and be able to make an income. But 
It isn't working with young people. And so as YWAMers, what they need to say is, okay, this is an absolutely fantastic work, but either it's a work for somebody else to continue, or we need to see how, this, how we get young people involved in this, how we bring young people through. Does, does that make sense? The difference between a, a, a vision and the values in terms of how the vision is lived out. And what I want to do over the next... Uh, six weeks, well it's seven weeks really because we'll, we will pause it during, for Pentecost Sunday. But what I want to do over the next six weeks, seven weeks, is think about six values uh, or, that will help us to live out our vision statement to reach out to all people, welcome into one family and transform every generation for Christ. And I'm going to tell you what they are now and see if you notice something incredibly clever about this. Okay, So be listening out for something very, very clever. The first is this. And this is what we're going to be thinking about this week. Christ-centered. Okay, you got that? Christ-centered? You might want to write it down to figure out how this is so clever. The next is holiness trajectory. So next week we're going to be thinking about a holiness trajectory. Then the week after that we're going to be thinking united in diversity. Does anyone see the very, can anyone guess the very clever thing yet? No, you already know. <laughs> It's going to spell out church, yeah. So the next one is, is this, and I'll, I'll explain it when we get to it. Relevant, not syncretistic, okay? So we'll explain that one when we get to it. Then the fifth one is the centrality of mission, and the, and the final one is homeward bound. And so as I say, you know, they're still pretty broad things, but essentially we're going to be thinking about these six things and how as a church that is seeking out to live this vision statement, reach out to all people, welcome into one family, and transform every generation for Christ. What are some of the values that should fuel us what are some of the things that we need to kind of like be putting into ourselves and what are some of the things that we should be expecting to see in ourselves and in all of the things that we're involved in as we seek to live out that huge vision statement. And as I say, we could then take it down to, our, to another level again, getting much more specific. And as I was thinking about this, this, this one, this Christ-centered must be absolutely at the heart of everything that we do as a church. I don't, you know, it is so easy, isn't it, as followers of Jesus to allow Jesus to somehow drift from being at the center of who we are. And, and, and it's so ironic because in other areas of life, we're absolutely fantastic at keeping something central. If you're trying to pass an exam or something like that, you'll make that absolutely central revision and all of the study and all of that sort of thing. If you're trying to learn to drive, then I'm sure that you absolutely dedicate yourself to that. If you're trying to get fit or if you're trying to woo somebody or whatever it might happen to be, woo, who woos these days? But anyway, um, but, but whatever it might happen to be, you know, when you have a vision for something, it's very easy to keep that thing central. But I would hazard a guess that for all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, that actually the hardest thing for us to do is to keep Jesus at the center of our life. Charles is, Charles is nodding and a couple of other people look like that. But, but you know, the, 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 the hardest thing, we would say that being a, being a Christian is the most important thing about who we are. That it is the defining thing that's ever happened to us. That following Jesus is the thing that sets, sets everything else in our lives in its place. And yet the problem is that it is so easy to let other things drift and let other things become central in our lives. And so this morning, I, I was kind of wrestling, what passage will I use and uh, 
And I'm going to use this passage that I've already read from John 15, but we'll probably dot into some other areas as well. But to think, well, how? What can I do? Because this applies just as much to me. I mean, you lot probably think that because I'm a pastor, I sit there glowing in my office in some kind of like holy light. And, and that would be true most of the time. Because but, 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 I've got one of those happy lamps. Have, have you seen them? I think when you drive past the office in winter, you'll think I've got an angelic visitation because I've got one of these lamps for seasonal affective disorder and it's like this totally white light. And so I think that when people come down bears for terrace, I think, wow, Nick's got the angels with him again. But, um, but, you know, I find this so difficult. How do I keep Jesus absolutely central? And I think that in a large way, that's what this passage is about. Because Jesus is saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then he says, uh, the key, probably one of the key words in this passage, whether it's about the vine and the branches, or whether it's about love, is remain. And it struck me how easy it is to, to pay lip service to being a follower of Jesus and yet not to remain. Not to just spend time being. Not, just, not to just spend time, if you like, sitting in who Jesus is. And one of the things that we did as a staff this week is we just spent some time just sitting. We always pray at nine o'clock in the office. Anybody who's in the office at nine o'clock will, will pray. And, uh, and one morning this week we said, look, let's just sit Let's just remain. Let's just remember Jesus. And because I know you all think that that sounds like a brilliant idea, but I also know that you all think, but where am I going to find space to do that? We're going to do that now. We're going to just spend five minutes remaining in Jesus. And And here are the rules, okay? It's not thinking about what Jesus has done for you. That That comes later, don't worry, and that's really, really important. It's not thinking about you know, what you want Jesus to do. It's just trying to find this place, and it, and, it, and it will take practice, but it's trying to find this place where you can perhaps close your eyes, perhaps not close your eyes, but however you want is just to focus on Jesus and who he is. Let's just try and remain in Jesus. Some of you will love that, and some of you will hate it. <laughs> but what I want to encourage you is that it's an absolutely essential part of who we are as followers of Jesus is just to sit and bask in who Jesus is. 
It says in the passage, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And then he says, remain in me, I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And I was thinking about this this week. We've started growing things out in the garden. Karen and the girls have started growing things out in the garden. And, and the branches or whatever, you know, they just happen. They've got nothing to do with it. If we're the branches of the vine, it's not because of anything that we do. And so our very first thing about being Christ-centered can't be through anything that we do. It's through who Jesus is. And just to spend time, my guess would be that for 90% of us probably, that's longer than we've sat in silence in any context this week, but certainly longer than we've sat in silence just trying to reflect on who Jesus is. But I want to suggest that the first thing about being Christ-centered as we look at the vine and the branches which are are branches just because of who the vine is, not because of anything they've done, that we need to spend that time just looking at him and who he is. But I do want to add in like a second point and that would be having rejoiced in Jesus, having, having, having rested in Jesus, having looked at Jesus for who he is, it is then absolutely right that we rejoice in what he's done for us. In Psalm 51 verse 12, you'll know it very well, it says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And, and I, what I love about that section of the psalm is this, that the psalmist isn't saying, restore unto me my salvation. And I think we touched on this last year at one point as well. He's not saying, give me back my salvation. He's not saying in some way my salvation has slipped away and I need that restored to me. But what he's saying is you need to have the joy of your salvation restored to you. Now, if you were at the baptisms uh, three weeks ago, if you've ever been at a baptism, if you've ever been around a new believer, there is just this incredible sense of joy in them, isn't there? Yeah, but like I kind of looking out can tell that some of us here aren't new believers or some of us have allowed perhaps the joy of our salvation to be slightly robbed or slightly quashed or slightly taken away that the whole exciting thing about being a new believer isn't there. When I was a new believer, I, I couldn't shut up. Do you know what I mean? Like Some of you might think I talk a lot now, but when I was a new believer, I couldn't shut up everywhere I went. I'm sure I've said this before. I took Why Jesus leaflets with me and left them on tables and just left. I I used to leave my Bible on the dashboard of my car so that the parking attendant would know I was a Christian. Those sorts of, I, I I just couldn't shut up about Jesus. But then I matured in my faith or I thought that I matured and then I grew up in my faith or I thought that I grew up in my faith and somehow that early, fire, that early zest for who Jesus was, zeal for who Jesus was, was somehow blunted. And so, you know, even as we remember and reflect on who Jesus is, if we're to stay Christ-centered as well, we need to stay excited about it. Because it's so difficult to keep going on something that you're not excited about. If you're not excited by your job, at least some of the time, it's going to be really hard to keep going with it. If you're not excited about your marriage, at least some of the time, it's going to be really hard to keep going in it. If you're not excited by your church, at least some of the time, it's going to be really hard to keep going in it. And it's exactly the same when it comes to our faith. If your faith doesn't excite you, if your faith doesn't fill you with joy, if you're not like, do you know what, this is actually the best thing that ever happened to me, then how on earth are you going to remain Christ-centered? You'll do it for a while, but eventually you'll fall off. 
And so that's where it comes, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We saw it in the last two minor prophets that we looked at. And it was just this, the, the, the central point, if you remember those last two uh, talks in the Minor Prophets, the first thing coming out of them was remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember what God has done for you. Remember and rejoice in your salvation. Remember where you were and remember where you are now. One of my favorite quotes is, I think it's, um, oh, the name's gone, it doesn't matter, but he says, I am not what I ought to be and yet I am not what I once was. And what I am, I am because of the grace of God. There is somebody who lived in the joy of their salvation. There is somebody who was still excited about what God had done for them. And through keeping that excitement, allowed themselves to stay centered in Jesus. So we're Christ-centered by remembering Jesus for who he is. We're Christ-centered by remembering Jesus and what he has done in our lives. We're also Christ-centered by keeping Jesus' words in us. In uh, verse 7, Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I can remember uh, one time, when I, or a couple of different occasions, but one time I was playing rugby for Glasgow Hawks against Air. So like, this is probably, I don't even know that we were married in fact, but it's probably about 10 years ago. And we were playing down here, it was a lovely sunny day, and, um, and I got punched. By, I know you can't believe it. Who'd want to punch this face? Um, but I, I got punched by the air captain, and like he's over me on the floor, and he and he punched me in the face. And and uh, I thought, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. No, I didn't. I was like, okay. So then, literally, literally, right, the next ruck, which is the next pile up of bodies uh, in a in a game of rugby, literally, and this is no word of a lie. He was the one on the floor, and I was over the top of him. And I promise you, he had just punched me. And, and I pulled my fist back to punch him. I was the assistant pastor at St. Silas in Glasgow at the time. I, I wasn't just kind of a, a new Christian or anything like that. And then I, I was part of a Bible read-through group with some other pastors in the West End. And, and the words of Jesus came into my head. You are the light of the world. And, and do you know what? I'm all right with, Je- with Jesus being the light of the world. I'm not all right with me being the light of the world because I know what I'm like and because I want to punch the guy in the face. But, said, but those words are there. You are the light of the world. And I'm like thinking, but Jesus, I don't want to be the light of the world just at the moment. And, he's, and, it, and this is all happening in a millisecond, by the way. The game, but, but I'm saying, no, I don't want to be the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And then it, but it's this, isn't it? If you allow my words to live in you, then you'll live a Christ-centered life. And you know, there were many times on a rugby pitch where I got it wrong, but on that occasion, I was able to put my hand down, just place it on his head like I was praying for him and, and pray a blessing on him and get on, and get on with the game. But, but, but that is what happens, you know, and I am terrible at it. Please, that's probably like the one example in the last 15 years, or maybe there's a couple of examples in the last 15 years of where I've allowed Jesus' words to remain in me, and it helped me to live a more Christ-centered life. There, there was one other 
um, how are we for time? No, I'll leave it. But you could ask me about it another time. My two occasions where, in the rugby club context, I allowed Jesus to shine through me. But, but, this, but the important thing is this. It was only through immersing myself in the word of God. It was only through faithfully meeting every Thursday morning in the Starbucks on Byers Road at half seven in the morning with this bunch of guys who were just reading through their Bibles who were allowing Jesus' word to dwell in our hearts. It says in the Psalms, doesn't it? I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But, and, and that's kind of what this is like. But that's only the negative side. That's only in order to stop yourself from sinning, store up God's word in your heart. But we're talking about much more than just to stop you from sinning. We're talking about to help you to live life in all its fullness and to know what it means to follow Jesus, to know which things it is that you should be going into and we as a church should be going into is as we allow God's word to live in us. We stay Christ-centered by remembering Jesus and what he's done. And that's it, just rejoicing in him. By rejoicing in our salvation, by rejoicing in what he's done for us and by keeping his words in us. And then we get onto the two not so easy or not so... um, Sorry, I've got a really bad throat. Um, Not so popular things, but... In this passage, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And then he says this bit, which none of us perhaps like to read. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. In, John, in one of John's letters, it says this is how you, you know that we're his disciples because you do what Jesus did. You live obediently. And it seems to me that that's not such a popular idea. So, you know, we can have this, oh, isn't it lovely to just sit and rest in God? And I hope that that is something that you'll take away. I hope that you'll take away to rejoice in what Jesus has done for you and to keep his word in your hearts. But to live obediently when everything or when so much else within me is pulling to go in the opposite direction. It's like what Paul says when he says, the good that I want to do, I can't do, but the, but the stuff that I know I shouldn't do, I want to keep on doing it. And yet, one of the key aspects of being a Christ-centered people and a Christ-centered church is to live in obedience to what Jesus' word teaches us. He says, Jesus that is, in John chapter 5, that he only does what the Father does. In other words, Jesus lived a life of supreme obedience to the will of the Father. We see that, don't we? When he's saying, God, I don't want to do it. Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. One of the questions, um, if you've been at Southside for a couple of years, you'll remember that I gave out a list of questions that Charles Wesley and his holiness club uh, asked. Do you, does anyone remember those questions, the holiness club questions? Oh, I'm glad I handed them out. Um, <laughs> we've still got ours on the fridge, but one of, but one of those questions, and, and it says it as bluntly as this, is, is the questions that this group of followers of Jesus used to ask each other every single day. Not just ask themselves, they used to do this in community, asking each other, was, are there any areas in your life where you're not being obedient? Are there any areas in your life where you're being disobedient? And that is my question to all of you this morning. I, can't make eye, I literally can't make eye contact with every single one of you. Um, 
And so if I do, please don't think that I'm just picking on you. But are there any areas in your life where you're being disobedient? And the answer to that question is yes, there are. And so the next part of that question is, Holy Spirit, will you show me where I'm being disobedient? Because you might not know it yet. One of the great Anglican prayers that I always remember is it it talks about how we sin in negligence and weakness in our own deliberate fault. There are sins in our lives. There are areas of disobedience in our lives that we haven't yet realized are areas of disobedience. Or that that we're somehow allowing the fact that we love that area of sin so much that we're justifying it. That we're saying, oh, do you know what? Actually, it's okay for me to keep all of my money because I work really hard to get it. Or it's all right for me to to be in that relationship because you know God actually blesses it and or, or, or whatever it might happen to be there are areas in all of our lives where there is disobedience but the amazing thing is that the spirit of Pentecost comes to shine a light on the areas of disobedience and he doesn't leave you feeling guilty he forgives you we've already prayed at communion as far as the east is from the west so far have I removed your transgressions from you he forgives all those who truly repent and he leads us on and out of and into fullness of life I know that you know this already but let me just say it in case you're caught in something but that area of disobedience is not giving you the fullness of life that you think it is It's actually robbing you of the life that Jesus wants to give you. When we stay Christ-centered, reflecting on Jesus, reflecting on what he's done for us, living his words, allowing his word to live in us and living obediently, that gives us fullness of life. And then the final thing, if you like, but of course it isn't the final thing, is to live sacrificially because we have these incredible words my command is this love each other as I have loved you greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends and I know that that's talking about that's, that's Jesus looking forward to his own death and it's, and it's him teaching his disciples on the, on the fact that many of them were going to die for being followers of Jesus I also know that most of us are probably never going to be put in that position. So I'm thinking, what does it mean for us today? And I believe it means this, that part of the Christ-centered life, at the heart of it, at the heart of how we make decisions if we're being Christ-centered, is does this cost us something? Because we shouldn't offer to God something that costs us nothing. We shouldn't offer our lives to God if it costs us nothing. We shouldn't offer our giving to God if it costs us nothing. I remember it was so powerful when Brian spoke a couple of years ago on taking up your cross and following. And I can remember exactly what he said. He said, your cross is not your mother-in-law. Brian said that and I thought, oh no. Because like for, for years I'd thought, yeah, I am bearing my cross in my mother-in-law. I, I thought that was my cross. And I, I, but Brian said, that's ridiculous. Your cross is not your mother-in-law. Your cross is when, a cross is somewhere where you go to die. A cross is somewhere where you lay your life down. Somebody who bugs you a little bit is not your cross. Somebody who gets on your nerves, a difficult job, whatever it happens to be. That is not, I was going to say that's not your mother-in-law. I've got her into my head now. Uh, that is not your cross. That is not living sacrificially. Loving beyond uh, how you can love is sacrificial. Giving beyond how you can give is sacrificial. Uh, 
uh, opening your lives to people that you might not uh, know or, or opening your homes in ways that you never have or just, you know, these are when we start to move down a sacrificial road. And Jesus, said, and Jesus here is talking about sacrifice in terms of laying down his life and laying down their lives as his followers. Uh, but, but I just want to say, you know, if you are trying to keep Jesus center and it is costing you nothing, if you are trying to keep Jesus center and there is no area of sacrifice in your life, then I just want to try and hum, as humbly as I can uh, just say, I'm not quite sure that you've got it. And I say that to myself as well. If you are trying to follow Jesus and there is no aspect of sacrifice in your life, is that a truly biblical Christ-centeredness? None of us, probably, or very few of us, are ever going to be called to the sacrifice that Jesus made. But we are all called to sacrifice to offer our lives as living sacrifices and to give, and I don't mean financially in that, I just mean give of ourselves in such a way that goes beyond just what I can afford to do. I said earlier that I started with that picture of the, the kangaroo petrol in the diesel car because... It would, be so, it would be so easy for us to go about living out our vision statement in our own strength. It would be so easy for us to, you know, oh yeah, we can do this, we can do Mission Mania, we're reaching out to loads of people, we can do Food Bank, we're doing this for loads of people, we can be involved in Give a Day or Broken Chains or the incredible youth work that Dan and the team are doing or whatever it happens to be. We can be doing all of those things. And because you are all, and I speak this in absolute sincerity over all of you, you are all such gifted people because of that, those things could run pretty well. The food bank could seemingly run without Jesus at the center and broken chains could seemingly serve a good meal and do all of that stuff without Jesus at the center. The youth could do all of their cool stuff without Jesus at the center. But it would only be a shadow of what it can truly be. At the heart of our vision statement, at the heart of, of what we're about, has to be this value, which is that everything that we do as a church is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Every decision we make, every project we're involved in, every single little thing, it has Christ at the center of it. And it sounds so simple. And yet, as I started with it is probably one of the hardest things for us to possibly do on a daily, weekly, day by day, week by week, month by month basis. And yet if we don't start there, we might as well put everything else down before we even do any more. So can I encourage you? And can you encourage me? <laughs> Ask me about this. You know, somebody said to me the other day, how's it going with God? I was like, wow, that, you're the first person who's asked me that in, in quite a while. And it, but it was brilliant. But can I encourage you and can you encourage me that as a family walking together before everything else, before the brilliant projects, before, before, we, before the food banks, the mission manias, the bike projects, the giver days, all of these amazing things we do, we seek to root ourselves in the one who has called us into him, who has allowed us to grow, who chose us 
we are not doing him a favor because we didn't choose him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as I pray so often, but I pray again, may what is from you take root. May what is from you flourish on the vine. And may everything that isn't from you fall away. And would you help us Would you help me and every person in this room to remain in you? May the heart of what we be, may the heart of what we are as a church be our devotion to you and our desire to remain centered in you. Amen.